0: This hour of the Bill Meyer Show podcast is made possible by Clouser Drilling. Clouser Drilling is proud to sponsor the show. We appreciate them, too. If you need to drill for water, be sure to call Clouser Drilling. They've been leading the way in southern Oregon well drilling for over 50 years. ClouserDrilling.com. Wheels up Wednesday. Welcome to Wednesday, January 10th. A rainy 40 degrees. Maybe closer to about uh, 38 or so here in southern Oregon. Uh, join the conversation at 770 kmed email bill at billmeyersshow.com, read them all, try to answer as many as I can. If I don't, don't take it personally. I'm just one guy, and we're doing it all, you know. it's uh, That's the way you work in 2024. We all do it that way, I think. I think that's just it. You know, if someone says, uh, Bill, could you make sure and have your staff get back to me? And I just <laughs> kind of laugh. Uh, I'm, you're talking to the staff. You're talking to the staff, right? But, you know, it's great small-town radio, and we're glad to have you join in. 770 563 Any snow in your neighborhood? I don't think it was quite as uh, cold as they were originally thinking overnight, and I think that's relatively a good thing. It's a mess in the high passes this morning. We know that. Uh, high cascades. By the way, let me know if you if you end up have, getting some snow, and maybe if you know what your elevation is, I'd like to, uh, to let people know where it is. And I uh, was out at one thirty this morning because I had an off-air at the uh, Jacksonville station. Power surge ended up, uh, you know, taking things out there. You know, sometimes during the storms with all the rain, uh, that happens. And so I ended up going up to Jacksonville. And that was at about 3,200 feet. And it wanted to snow. You can tell it just was trying to snow. But it was just a little slushy just starting at that point at about 2 in the morning. And so... Not a big deal. I was actually kind of pleased because there was one Christmas a couple of years ago that I had to hike in there Christmas Eve and <laughs> to hike in there. And it was like, oh, you know, a foot and a half of snow. It was just an am- it was beautiful, but it was just amazing. But I did not have to uh, hike in this morning. But if you have snow, I'd like to hear about it. Um, now, the high cascade passes near Diamond Lake and Crater Lake, they ended up shutting down overnight. Blizzard up there, low visibility. So you can't go on uh, Oregon 62 east of Union Creek or 230 from Union Creek to the intersection of 138, you know, the Diamond uh, Lake Junction. And uh, they're asking that you just postpone the uh, travel on the mountain passes. Now, as far as the Siskiyou Summit is concerned, it is change required for everybody unless you have four-wheel drive, okay? And that's a lot of delays, anywhere from 20 minutes to uh, two hours of, you know, getting ready to get over the Siskiyou. So, that's a bit of a mess. So about four thousand feet, forty-two hundred feet. You know they're getting some pretty good dumping of snow there. Lake of the Woods, Oregon, one forty. That is uh, getting some pretty good snow too. But uh, it's cold there. Twenty-four degrees, packed snow, and uh, chains required on vehicles that are towing, from what I understand. And in Joe's in Joe County, it's looking kind of okay at the moment. Not seeing any problems with a Sexton Summit or a Stage Pass. Uh, Hayes Hill on 199 does not appear to be uh, suffering any big uh, snow impact at this point in time. City of Grants Pass is a uh, fine too. City of Medford is fine. Ashland also. But uh, on some of these uh, mountain passes, they're uh, pretty serious. All right. Like I said, the high cascade passes uh, shut down and uh, 140 has a snow impact and the Siskiyou Summit. Okay. So there we go. That's uh, all, we, all we have to deal with so far. And that's good news. And I think it's because it was just a little bit warmer than they were originally thinking overnight. Did not get as cold. Now, it's supposed to get colder uh, throughout the day, though. We're going to see uh, lowering snow levels from what we understand. Okay? So we'll see if that ends up uh, changing a little bit. alright zero five six three 5633 770-5633-770-KMED. I've been intrigued with this uh, Alaska Airlines emergency door blow-off. You know, the uh, the door plug that ended up being found. I guess there was a teacher in the Portland area that found that, uh, that door or that door assembly, uh, you know, in his backyard. Pretty interesting. Somebody else found an iPhone that had actually blown out of the plane, and it uh, worked just fine. Survived 16,000-foot drop, went okay. Probably went into some vegetation, I think, otherwise. But um, the latest Oregon Life has an interesting story on this one here. And what they have figured out happened with this. I And mean, remember, it was last Friday that the Alaska Airlines flight 1282 takes off. And it's at about 16,000 feet. And this is a, um, a Boeing 737 MAX 9, a MAX 9. And the door that blew out was an inactive or a deactivated uh, emergency exit because they didn't have as many seats on that plane, and so they weren't required to have as many emergency exits, so they put a plug on it, and uh, what they're finding out is that the left door plug slid off its hinges and then disconnected from the fuselage, in other words, blew out, and then uh, blew away from the airplane. And what they don't know at this point, though, is if the four bolts intended to prevent the door plug from disconnecting were in place. NTSB aerospace engineer Clint Crookshanks reports in the Oregonian that um, th- they don't, don't know much about this yet. It happened uh, just after it took off from Portland at five oh seven, and boy, I got to tell you, that was just <laughs> what a wild time that must have been. Very cold, and I'm just glad it didn't happen up at uh, 33,000 feet because you know, explosive decompression can be really, really bad stuff. Okay, there was an interesting. And and I would say astounding sidebar to this uh, Alaska Airlines door blowing out sort of thing, you know, the door plug blowing out. Unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to probably most of the passengers, and also unbeknownst to the pilots, the Boeing 737 MAX 9 is programmed to open up the cockpit door if there's an explosive decompression it automatically unlocks. Did you know that? I didn't know that either. Apparently, nobody knew that. I I guess Boeing knew this, but nobody else did. The cabin door blew open, and of course, it ended up causing problems uh, for the pilots. Of course, the pilots were very professional, but you just had this insane rush of air and air noise going into the cockpit they couldn't the pilots couldn't hear each other. they had difficulty uh communicating to air traffic control and various other officials and it was just insane, but yeah, for some reason, there is some kind of safety i I guess it was for safety that if there was an explosive decompression, that the door would open to the cockpit. Now, maybe this had to do with, uh, you know, people concerned about, you maybe the the pilots wouldn't get their oxygen masks on. This way somebody else could get into the cockpit and help them out. Maybe that was what they were thinking of. But can you imagine what a terrorist would do with something like that? With that kind of knowledge? Because as it is right now, the uh, cockpit doors have been locked. They've been locked for uh, quite a few years, ever since 9-11 and the uh, different regulations came in. But yeah the door flew open we had the uh, the door blow out of the Alaska Airlines plane and then the cockpit automatically opened. And so think about that that this is something uh, which could have been used. I mean you could see you know uh, terrorist types that would just say hey well we don't have to try to uh, get box cutters or do anything else or uh, you know hold a knife to the to the uh, flight attendant's throat and say, hey, open up the uh, cockpit door or else. All we have to do is find a way to decompress the plane, and then the cockpit door will unlock. That was an astounding story, a little sidebar that I had not heard. And (laughs) I'm reading this, I'm going like, what? All right, what kind of diversity hired team decided that this was a great idea? You know, we have an explosive decompression and let's blow open the cockpit door so that way anybody can get in there i don't know uh, something tells me that there will be a little bit of uh, reprogramming of the 737 software probably so this is the bill myers show Seven seven zero five six three three seven seven zero 5633 kmed what's on your mind we can talk about that before eric peters comes on any snow in your neighborhood too kind of a bit of snow watch because uh, you're supposed to have some valley level uh, floor uh floor snow rather haven't seen any yet. Maybe you have some in your neighborhood. Let me know.
1: When choosing a contractor, you need a professional. Clauser Drilling's professionalism starts with their organized office staff and continues with their experienced field staff. A family-owned business, Clauser Drilling employs qualified individuals with diverse skills and experience who share the same passion. This means dependable results you can trust. Don't take a risk on your well contractor. For drilling, deepening, or repair, call 541-476-7795 or visit ClauserDrilling.com. Serving Southern Oregon, since. 1971. Thanks to you, they're great customers.
0: Bill Meyer with Charisse from No Wires Now. So glad I switched to DISH.
2: And if your listeners have Direct TV or Cable TV, they're paying too much.
0: And you made it easy to switch. Plus, I got the Hopper DVR and DISH's very cool voice-activated remote.
2: Call today. Tell me what you have, how much you're paying, and I think you're going to love DISH. I'll even help you lower your existing Internet and cell phone bill.
0: Call Charisse like I did. 541-680-5875. com. Restrictions apply. Call for details. Internet and cell phone service are not provided by dish.
3: Your smile is the key to your health and confidence. Do you know that it is possible in a single day to replace a mouthful of bad teeth or ill-fitting dentures with a beautiful implant-supported smile? For so many of my patients, this has been a life-changing experience. Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Johnson of
0: Dental Excellence. I met a man in my office who came for a free consultation. He said to me, Dr. Johnson, I quit going out to eat with my friends. I cover my mouth when I smile. I don't laugh out loud like I used to. I'm tired of all the denture adhesive and not tasting my
3: food. Can you or someone you know relate to this man's story? I'm here to tell you that dental implants can solve your problems and give you a great reason to smile. Start now to regain your health and confidence. Come meet me and my amazing team. The
4: consultation is free.
2: Call 541-779-6170 or visit MedfordDentalExcellence.com. Medford Excellence, changing lives one
1: smile at a time. Hi, I'm Paul Strandler with Valley Nursery, and I'm on 106.7 KMED.
0: Programming note today that uh, 106.7 FM is back on the air. And uh, we had had a problem with some water in a in a line, a uh, data line ended up uh, getting filled with water. And uh, the tower climber Dave Akins came out from Prospect and we shimmied up there yesterday and he got it all rerun and fixed and everything's all good. I just uh, want to let you know, at first I was concerned that uh, the weather was going to get so bad we couldn't uh, get it done. But uh, we wrapped up at two o'clock just as it started snowing up there east of Phoenix. Steve's in Sunny Valley. Hello, Steve. How are you doing this morning?
5: I am doing well. And, and I just
0: wanted to relate an
5: experience that I had when I was an aircraft maintenance technician for American Airlines.
0: Okay. I'd like to hear your expert opinion here because uh, I was a, a little concerned or thought it was really odd that um, in the Alaska Airlines uh, door blowout the other day. When the door blew out, the cockpit door was programmed to open automatically on an explosive decompression and it caused a few problems for the pilots so i thought that was interesting is, is that anything you've ever known about before or has it ever been done
5: well, y- we had to test the uh the fail-safe if a cabin overpressurizes, pressurizes mm-hmm. the, the plane at altitude could have an inflate uh, structural failure and, and disintegrate so if the pressure rises too quickly And too high, there's an orifice in the back of the uh, of the plane that regulates how much cabin pressure. I mean, air is always being taken off the engines to pressurize the
0: cabin. Is it one of those things where that uh, that valve in the back of the plane is like a blow off valve of some sort, or does it always just regulate how much pressure is inside?
5: Regulates, but if it fails, uh, it's set to to keep the uh, pressure the cabin pressure at a below twelve thousand five hundred feet okay because that's where elderly people start experience hypoxia but if it fails there's a backup that blows these doors kind of near the in an md-80 near the uh uh cargo area oh. and they're kind of round doors and are about a foot in diameter and there's uh, two of them, one on each side of the plane.
0: And those are fail-safes of a sort, right? Those
5: are fail-safes, pressure okay. relief, like mm-hmm. like on your uh, water heater. Okay. If they go, all of a sudden, and, and what we did is we sealed up the plane, and we pumped air in, and then we tripped them on purpose. Oh. And the sound was tremendous. And every garbage can on the hangar that was had a plastic liner in it. Suddenly, the liner was popped up out of the garbage can, <laughs> and your ears popped. It's a pretty explosive thing. Wow. And we were putting in these after nine eleven these cockpit doors. And sure, they'll stop somebody who, who's hitting on it with a with a with a cart or something, but mm-hmm. it's not. Designed to stop something that explosive, and oh. it could very well be that the pressure difference when the when the cabin lost pressure, the cockpit pressure was higher, and that door just blew out.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah, if that you had heard that, that makes it was sense.
5: Programmed to do that, um that's one thing, but. Those latches are only a half inch long, and and you can't make stuff super heavy on an airplane.
0: No, everything's about weight, right? (laughs) Trying to keep the weight down as much as possible. Well, that makes a lot of sense, but uh, now what I had read, and maybe my source was wrong, I'll have to go back and uh, and recheck it, but uh, they were talking about it actually having been programmed in software to unlock and open the cockpit door in an explosive decompression. Now, maybe it has to do with stopping... Uh, you know, the tearing of the door, and maybe something just blowing away, or something. Maybe that's what it's all about. I don't know, but it's pretty interesting. I, I don't know,
5: mm-hmm. but it is pretty explosive when a when a plane
6: depressurizes instantly. It's,
0: okay. Hey, good to know. And uh, so you, <laughs> so essentially, you when you were working there, uh, had the uh, opportunity of almost uh, playing blow it up a little bit, right? You were like like a kid. Right? Let's well, blow it up. People
5: don't think about five psi as being a lot, but when we Redo a a fuel tank, we're supposed to pressure test it to 3 PSI, and if if you go to 10 PSI, you destroy the airplane. Every rivet pops, and it's no longer airplane shape. Ah,
0: didn't know that.
5: So it it makes a big difference because, you know, 10 PSI over a large area is thousands and thousands of pounds.
0: Yeah, that's essentially a bomb, isn't it?
5: It it really is. You don't want to compress – yeah.
0: All right, hey, good to hear, it. and thanks okay. for sharing your story and working on the planes. Okay, the MD eighty. Yeah. Did you work on anything else other than the MD eighty? Well, after after 11
5: I was. It took them to two thousand three to furlough me, and I I spent a year working in San Francisco, working on seven, six, seven, 7 mm-hmm. MD 80s and uh, gee, everything that landed in San Francisco. You got 7, it. Five seven.
0: So. All right, thanks a bunch, Steve. Great story. Six twenty nine at KMD. KCMD. And let me go to line two. Hello. Hi, KMED, KCMD.
2: Hi, this is Monica. Hi, Monica.
0: Ashland. How are it's you? It's
2: snowing here. You just wanted to know. And it's been snowing here since about 530.
0: Oh, okay. And, and what started... what uh, what elevation are you? Do you know, roughly? Oh,
2: gosh. I don't know. I'm just above the breadboard on Grant Street. I'm about halfway up. Okay. So a little, little higher, but we're North Ashland. So Okay. And the And the storm's coming from the north, so.
0: Mm, all right. So it does look like the uh, snow level is dropping as was predicted. So we may see a little bit more of that as the day goes you might,
2: on. You oh. might. It's just starting to stick really good now. It was pretty wet first. So right. it's just now starting to stick a little bit.
0: Thank you very much, Monica. 630. Let me just uh, grab another quick one here. Hi, KMED, KCMD. Hello?
7: Hey, Bill. It's Deplorable. Good morning. It's Deplorable Patrick.
0: Hi, DP. How you doing?
7: Hey. uh, not too bad. I also used to work in the aircraft industry. I used to uh, work in the factory at Ted Smith Aircraft in Van Nuys, California, and we had we would hang the landing gear and we would uh, hang the flaps on the airplanes and put on the, put the uh, tails and rudder on. Anyway, the point I'm making is that uh, what I'm hearing about this is that P- well, there are whistleblowers at Boeing and at Spirit Air. Uh, aerospace where they build these uh, fuselages and they're reporting that they are being pushed for more production, more production, more production and employees are saying, hey, we, we don't have time to do this right. It's not being done right. Mm. And some of the employees are being fired. Well, that all by itself should bring big, big sanctions against Boeing, but my f- focal point of my call is We always had inspectors that would come along behind us and look at our work, that little stamp, and they would stamp it if it passed. Where are the inspectors that are supposed to follow these people and make sure the bolts are in place and torqued right?
0: In airline world, wouldn't it be proper when you have a uh, a bolt like that that is uh, going to be holding in the door plug? Wouldn't you normally now I'm not an engineer or anything like that but uh you know like an aircraft engineer but wouldn't something like that normally be torqued and then you would use the safety wire you know, with like a hole through the bolt do they do that kind of stuff for that th- sort of thing
7: They do that and they do use safety wire in uh plenty of various applications that particular application I'm seeing pictures they use a cotter pin through the bolt oh okay the cross-leaded nut on the bolt mm-hmm. and uh Some of those bolts are torqued. Uh, Well, torqued some is not a real important torque value on some of those bolts in that assembly. Others, it is an important uh, torque value. So yes to that.
0: What is very interesting to read about uh, the corporate culture at Boeing has certainly changed. And it is now all DEI. And we're talking about woke, woke, woke. And it is uh, more... It's more important that you tick the boxes apparently in Boeing right now, which I thought is uh, of concern, especially when you're you know putting big aluminum tubes five miles up in the air. Just saying.
7: I I wouldn't shed a tear if Boeing went out of business.
0: Hmm. Appreciate the call. Thanks for that, DP. Hi, KED, KCMD. Good morning.
7: Hey, Bill is David.
0: Hi,
3: David. I'm hey, on there. Yes, you are. Oh, I was going to say, you know, um, I've been listening to this plane story for like the last couple of days talking about the black box because the, the recording device and where the door landed. And I just got to wonder, like going on day five now, I just got to wonder what's going on in Gaza and Ukraine. You know, I've learned about, I've learned more about airplanes in the last four days than I have in my whole life.
0: Well, in some respects, I think it's a, it's kind of a relief to talk about airplanes rather than Gaza and Ukraine, because we're not going to be able to fix those, David. <laughs>
3: We're not oh sure, sure. Yeah, I just, I just mean like they're talking about you know the mainstream news is talking about how long a a cockpit uh, voice recorder records over itself and all the. I mean, I'm just listening to it. To some point, I'm just like, I mean, it's fascinating. I love your show, but I'm saying in general, the trend is kind of blowing my mind at this point. Yeah, how much coverage it's got.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's dramatic too. It's dramatic, and everybody has uh, probably flown at some point, and and. And the other thing about it I, – I th- and the other thing I think that makes it uh, big for a lot of people here, David, is that Western civilization has done a really, really good job for the most part of making a very – of doing these air ballets with, uh, with airlines and around-the-world flights and all the rest of it. And there does seem to be – some cracks in the facade. And I think that's why uh, people are interested in this because they're noticing it. They're noticing the, oh, uh, the, yeah. the crisis, the crisis incompetence, which is going through a lot of the industries.
3: Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, bring it back to so many things. I mean, I'm glad you made a bigger picture issue out of it because as our excellence deteriorates, maybe we won't be able to keep these people safely flying in these aluminum tin cans, 30,000 feet above the air. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, A lot of the, you're right, a lot of the features we rely on that took many, many years of ingenuity and people with, you know, integrity and uh, not just intelligence, but people that cared about what they're doing. You know, and now, I mean, you know what I do for a living, and I have to give the lecture to everyone when their car turns seven years old. You know, it's like, well, we might have to put her down. (laughs) Put her down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: I'm sorry the patient was not able to survive. Gosh, and, and here it is. I'm driving a 13-year-old car. One car's 13-year-old uh, years old, the other one 17, and the van again is uh, 43 years old. Okay. Yeah, okay. The
3: survivors, those are those are like the the kids after the great depression that got the the right nutrients in their food, you know, the the people that are they're all healthy, you know, and, yeah. and um, surviving this uh yeah, a lot, a lot of funny analogies one could make.
0: All right. Hey, good to hear from you, David. Thanks for the call as always. And uh, we'll take one more open phone, and then I, mean, I got to get ready for Eric Peters. To do wheels up Wednesday. Hi, KMD, KCMD. Who's this?
6: Hey, good morning, uh, uh, Billis Cliff. Hi, Cliff. How you doing? My right, good. On those door plugs on the airplane on the jets are opposite. Well, okay. They're, they're they are tapered like a plug, right. like a cork. Mm-hmm. And it, when you're entering into when you're boarding an airplane. And you look at the door that you come through. When it fits into the hole, when they close it, it uh, you know it's tapered. And those door plugs are opposite. Are put in opposite of the regular door. That yeah,
0: it's like a reverse cork, right?
6: Yeah. It's okay. Like a reverse cork.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: And the article I ran that I had read earlier about this is that that design has been in airplanes for quite a long time.
0: Hmm. It still makes you wonder uh, how so many loose bolts can be overlooked, doesn't it?
6: Right. And that that's what they're hinging on, is they're trying to figure out if there was no bolts or if the bolts were loose or if they fatigued out, yeah. whatever. So, uh, you know, that's yeah.
0: my take on it. Yeah, and I'll be curious to see if this is another example of that crisis incompetence as, um As people either cut costs or as uh, people start worrying about uh, ticking DEI boxes rather than are you the most competent people available, you know, to work on uh, certain situations. There's a lot of stuff in the air on this one, Cliff. Really is. We'll be curious. All right. Appreciate the call. Thanks for that. 637. Eric Peters will join me next. KMD KCMD. Is your business or personal tax return under IRS audit? Tell the IRS First Response Resolution has got it. First Response Resolution in Eagle Point, your local tax resolution experts. Visit FirstResponseIRS.com and talk to Zach in Eagle Point. He'll defend your rights as a taxpayer.
2: Are you the parent of a 2- to 7-year-old? Listen closely for an exciting free radio offer. By now, you've probably heard of ABC Mouse the Parents' Choice Award-winning online learning program that's actually changing the lives of early learners everywhere. ABC Mouse is like a little one-on-one teacher. It has helped her so much. Right now, we're offering a special radio promo to try it free for a month. But you have to go to abcmouse.com radio to claim your free month. That's abcmouse.com radio. Sponsored by Age of Learning.
0: News sponsored by Caveman Heating and Air. It's the climate and we control it. Call Caveman Heating and Air at 541-476-0009 or cavemanheating.com.
8: Good morning, I'm Molly Smith with your NBC5 morning news update. The Oregon Department of Transportation is warning drivers that winter weather activity in the forecast will impact travel this week, even on lower elevation passes of I-5. We previously reported that ODOT's budget could be impacted after more drivers are switching to electric vehicles as it relies on the state's gas tax. But ODOT tells us they are now back to their regular staffing levels. The agency says that if you do have to travel, keep an emergency kit in your vehicle and make sure you have chains and that you know how to use them before you go on your trip. And as always, check TripCheck.com before you head out the door. The Cow Creek Umqua Indian Foundation announced it's giving over $800,000 to nonprofits across southwestern Oregon. The nonprofits receiving awards include locations in Jackson, Josephine, Klamath, Douglas, and Coos County. Out of the over $800,000 in awards, just under $95,000 is going to Jackson County. This includes grants to Access, Rogue Valley Family YMCA, and the Peace House. And the city, man, the city of Medford will soon be looking for a new city manager. Brian Shotun, who has held the role since 2016, will be retiring at the end of the year, according to the city. Shotun's career with Medford spans more than 16 years and began in the city's Parks and Recreation Department. That's a look at your morning headlines. For NBC5 News, I'm Molly Smith.
6: Millette Construction has been a general contractor for 40 years. For the last 20 years, they've specialized in foundation repair and replacement. If you have sloping floors, cracks in walls, and windows and doors that are hard to open, you have a foundation problem that's only getting worse. At Millette Construction,
0: they not only fix your foundation and level your house, they solve the water problem that's causing the damage. Get on solid ground. Call Millett Construction for a free estimate. Visit MillettConstruction.com. CCB number 32787. Are you adventure ready? Oregon Truck and Auto Authority is your source for overlanding, off-road, and outdoor lifestyle products. Featuring quality options for rooftop tents, racks, bumpers, winches, and recovery gear. LED lighting, dual battery systems, onboard compressors. Cargo cases, coolers, and refrigerators. They also offer camp stoves, scuttles, fire pits, tables, and chairs, so you're prepared once you've reached your destination. Stop by Oregon
6: Truck and Auto Authority, your department of adventure. Welcome back to the Bill Myers Show. 1063 KMET,
0: 993 KCMT. <laughs> uh, the prankster. Uh, I like that. I like I like the uh, the the prankster uh, bumper there for Eric Peters. epautos.com, Eric Peters Auto and uh, every Wednesday it is Wheels Up Wednesday. Eric, you got a lot going on over there on the site uh, lately. It's great to have you back. Good morning, sir.
1: Well, thank you, Bill. I've also got a lot going on in my garage that gave me a real psychological as well as an actual lift lately.
0: Yeah, tell me about this because you did a lot of uh, I we mentioned this briefly before uh, the end of last show. Mm-hmm and that you had uh, uh, just boxes of this uh, this new it's, it's like your own garage lift that you ended up installing yeah. in your back shop tell us about
1: that how mm-hmm. that ended up working yeah well i you know i had to do a lot of research on it because you know my hard drive needed to be updated i was trying to figure out like which one makes sense what would work for me and anybody who's been thinking about this we'll have to go through that same process you know it's one thing if you've got uh, a a big shop with 20 foot high ceilings then it's a no-brainer to go out and get yourself a two-post or a four-post lift Um, but I don't have uh, 20 foot high ceilings so I thought well what kind of what kind of solution can I can I get here that will work for me and I went with something called a mid-rise scissor lift and it kind of works like how it sounds. And it, it's just under the center section of the car in between the front and rear axles. And the neat thing about it is when you're not using this to raise the vehicle, it pretty much sits flat on your garage floor. So it doesn't take up any space to speak of. You don't have these big posts on either side of your vehicle that you then have to kind of maneuver around all the time. That can be a real hassle if you don't have a huge garage. Is it
0: something and that... Easily, oh, I'm sorry. Is the scissor, it's it, also
1: it, easily portable. It has wheels you can attach. So if you, know, you want to move it from this side of the garage to the other side... You, you can just put the wheels on it and then move it wherever you need it to go. And I'm telling you, it's life-changing. It has made jobs, even basic jobs, that used to be kind of a pain. Like, for example, uh, changing out the gear lube in my truck's transmission used to be a hassle because trying to get to that fill plug on the side of the case when you just barely got the vehicle up on a jack yep. and you're trying to you know maneuver around in there, it's just it's not fun. Now it's fun. I turn on my stereo and I, I, I just enjoy myself out there. I even did exhaust work the other day i put a new custom made by me exhaust system on my truck and i enjoyed doing it which i've never said before about doing exhaust work on a vehicle
0: Well, when you're able to kind of uh, sit and do it rather than like crane on your back and mm-hmm. you always have your hands over your head your arms over your
1: head and i gotta
0: tell you it's fatiguing after a while you have to do
1: oh, that Oh, very fatiguing and it's just not practical you can't get tools on things you know you can't get at the right angle to things uh so, I highly recommend it. If anybody out there is listening to this that that does any kind of significant work on their own vehicles it's It's worth getting it, and the other thing is it's affordable to get. This unit that I got cost about twenty eight hundred bucks, and I know that's not a small amount of money, but it's also not a stupid amount of money, like you know ten, twelve thousand dollars and just to to kind of rationalize it, if anybody out there wants to go through the same mental process that I go through a clutch job, like if I have to put a clutch in my truck, I can do that for about 200 bucks in parts. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I had to pay somebody to do that, it would be about 1500 bucks. So right there, I've pretty much paid or saved 50% of the cost of the thing, just about without using that one job.
0: Yeah, it is astounding what has happened to uh, to labor rates and and I get it though. I mean, you you have yeah. uh, you have skilled people, you have to be able to pay for that garage and the and the ASE certified mechanics and you know all the other things and the liability and inflation has uh, gone after everything right now. But if there's uh, if you you know if you're capable with the wrench and you like doing your own work, having your own lift I guess would be a really a really interesting way of going about it. I love it. I love it. Yep, yep. Because uh, no, as it is right now, mood. yeah, the only uh, lift that I have is that I have these uh, ramps I drive up onto, and it's uh, kind of pathetic, really. Uh, and I,
1: well, I can't <laughs> do that with my Trans Am. My Trans Am's too low to the ground, and it's got that chin spoiler that would just push the ramp all over the garage.
0: <laughs> okay. I wanted to talk about the uh, the safety. You know, every time we talk about safety, we yeah. have to go, Safety. You know the 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 cult of safetyism, which has uh, taken over the land formerly of the free, that kind of thing. Yep. And you have a brand new article up there called "When Safety Isn't." And I would love for you to break down just uh, you know the high points of this. People need to read it, of course, on epautos.com. dot com. But yep, you got a great take here. What's going on?
1: Well, you know, they're, they're, what they're attempting to do um, superficially, they talk about safety, but really what they're instilling is passivity, which is dangerous, and incompetence, which is dangerous. The other day here we had uh, sleet and freezing rain, and, and I jumped in my test car du jour uh, to go down to get some exhaust parts for this truck thing that I'm doing. And because there was ice all over the cameras that are on the uh, bumpers of the car, and that's what these safety systems depend on, the dashboard lit up with uh, all these warnings that the various safety systems, the assistance technologies weren't working. And if you watch the video that I've got embedded with the article, you can hear the thing beeping at me too. And it occurred to me, well – If a person is dependent upon these safety assistance technologies in order to be able to competently control the vehicle, what happens when those technologies don't work? Hmm. You've got a person behind the wheel who does not know how to control their car. I think that's pretty unsafe.
0: Yeah, what part of uh, of so-called safety features ends up uh, conditioning people to not really learn to drive as well? I guess that would be the question. Has anyone really done any research on it?
1: Right. Well, you know, I remember, this is probably going back to like the late 90s, I was at a Ford event. And this was the first time I ever saw park assistance technology, and the the engineers were all excited to show how you know all you had to do is push this button, and the car would effectively steer itself into a parallel parking spot. And I thought, you know, well that's interesting from a purely engineering Mm -hmm. and technical point of view that they can do that. Sure. But I asked the uh, the engineer, well, isn't it kind of a, a bad thing if a person cannot park their own car? And should that kind of a person be entrusted with a three or four thousand pound object that drives down the road at seventy miles an hour? In my opinion, probably not.
0: What did the engineers say? I'm just curious.
1: They agreed. Oh, okay. But, you know, it's a sell. You know, it's a sell. <laughs> it's something that they can market, and this, this this gets back to the safetyism thing because they can market this as being all about
2: safety.
1: Just like you know, you're, you'll remember this, like back in the late '80s when GM was the first car company to start putting those daytime running lights. On vehicles always on headlights that now almost all cars have yep they presented that as a safety feature it was nothing of the kind the reason they did that was because in Canada there was a law requiring cars to have it because there are lower light conditions in Canada and so GM saved money because rather than build cars for the Canadian market and then cars for the US market that each had different lighting systems and mind you the cost per car isn't that much but when you scale that up to hundreds of thousands of vehicles it adds up to money they they decided, well, let's just build the, them all with the DRLs, and then we can market it to Americans as being all about safety.
0: I never knew that. All these years, mm-hmm. I wondered where the daytime running lights came from. So it was because of the Canadians.
1: All right. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and the desire to save money. Now, ironically, it, it, to get back to what we were talking about a moment ago, it's not safe because what's happened is all these cars are driving around with their headlights on all the time. And so now you don't see motorcycles anymore, at least not as well as you used to be able to. You don't see funeral processions and emergency vehicles because they don't stand out from the crowd anymore. You have visual clutter Mm -hmm. and glare, and that's arguably less safe.
0: Hey, before I get to the phone calls here, Eric, I wanted to ask you about headlights. Mm -hmm. What has happened to the brightness or the – it's almost like – the modern lights that are coming in new cars are almost like designed to vaporize the retina of oncoming yeah. drivers. Is it just mm-hmm. me, or I, I don't want to sound like an oh, that's just my boomer showing,
4: you know that kind of No, thing, no, but...
1: it's not. You know, it's it's like everything almost in life. There are pros and there are cons. The, the illumination systems in modern cars are exceptional. You know, they they can light ahead the, the you know the road ahead of you. Uh, almost to daylight as if you're a 747 coming in for a landing. It's astounding. Mm-hmm. But the downside is that if somebody's coming at you, you know, they're, they're going to be blinded by that. Now, a lot of the cars have uh, a technology that will dim the lights automatically, but they're still very bright. So, again, it's a question of weighing these pros and the cons. You know, the, the big beef that I have with these lights isn't so much that they're so bright. It's that they're so astoundingly expensive. You will have oh. a heart attack if you have a late model car. And you crack one of those headlight assemblies or, you you know, get into a minor accident and that thing has to be replaced. Some of these things can cost $500 or even $1,000 or more, depending on the, the model, as opposed to, you know, $25 for a sealed beam halogen headlight.
0: Yeah, that, uh, boy... I didn't realize they were quite that expensive. Just, those, the, just the, headlight, the headlight cover. It's not really a headlight because the headlights, the halogen bulb inside it, or else I guess uh, what are those uh, super bright ones like uh, Discharge?
1: Well, they're, they're, they're LEDs. Oh, they are doing uh, LED, LED uh,
0: getting, yep. moving into official LED headlights now. Okay. All yeah, right.
1: and they're an assembly. And, oh, and it gets even better. Some of these are actually uh, tied into the car's computer electronic system, and you can't just swap them out. You know, like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about the problem with the battery in some of yeah. these cars. Yeah. You may have to go to the dealer to get them to install your headlight because if you do it yourself, <laughs> it won't recognize the new electronic bits and it won't work.
0: Oh, okay. You know, this is the challenge of the Internet of Things, including your car headlights, right? That kind
4: of thing.
1: Well, and they're not telling people. And that's my main beef with it. People are unaware of this stuff. You know, they'll buy a vehicle and. The salesman will tell them all about how great the heated seats are and how the, how much engine how much horsepower the engine makes and all of that stuff. They don't say, "Look, you know, if if this breaks down the road, you're going to be paying about this much to get it fixed, and you might want to know that before you buy the vehicle."
0: Eric Peters with me epautos.com are always happy to take your calls if you have a question or comment for him. 770-5633. We'll go to line 2. Hi, KMD, KCMD, who's this? This is Stacy. Yeah, hi Stacy. You got a question for Eric? Go ahead
2: apologize for the real
4: noise. I'm
2: actually on my way to work. Okay. Uh, so I've got, a, I've got a 2012 Mini Cooper. Love it. Not getting rid of it. But I do want to look at getting a used um, EV or hybrid only because I can charge it for free at work. Uh-huh. And I would just want it commuter. But I don't know what to look for in a used because of the battery situation and whatnot with them.
0: All right. So, Eric, uh, I guess she's looking for... You have a Mini Cooper, though, right? That's your, your normal daily driver? Yeah, I,
2: I'm, not, I'm not getting rid of that. I want a gas-powered vehicle. Okay, all good. Time. All right.
0: But, but, yeah, if you're, what about a reasonable uh, used EV of some sort? Anything come to mind, Eric, that is... Uh, well, uh,
1: I, would, I would strongly urge her not to get a pure EV that is an entirely electric car. For all the reasons you and I have talked about many times on this show, uh, I would encourage her to look into a plug-in hybrid, uh, which is the best of both worlds without the worst of any of it. Uh, you know, these are vehicles that will go typically about 30 miles on battery power, but you don't have to be tethered to a cord because if you run out of range before you you know need to get to where you're going, the gas engine kicks on and keeps you going. There are a number of plug-in hybrids on the market. I just uh, recently test drove a Mitsubishi Outlander partial hybrid electric vehicle. Toyota has several. Um, you can get the the new Dodge Hornet, a plug-in a plug-in version of that. That's a, a cute little small car that's also very peppy. Uh, those are the kinds of vehicles that I would encourage the caller to look into.
0: Now, are there any used plug-in hybrids? I think she was yeah. looking oh, for sure. a used car.
1: Lots of them. You know, it's just a cursory search will, will turn them up. Plug-in hybrids have been around for quite some time, uh, and they are the way to go for people who like the idea of having an electric car but maybe don't like the idea uh of being tethered to a power cord and having to sit there having to sit there at a charger for potentially a couple mm-hmm. of hours waiting for the thing to be able to move again
0: now she was talking about how it works she's able to uh, to charge her vehicle for mm-hmm. free which is actually very cool it's a nice benefit if sure. you got that and so sure. uh but yeah 30 miles would probably take care of that uh, I'll, I'll bring you back on a uh, caller because your road noise is pretty high but uh how, how long is your commute just curious
2: um, I'm just from Medford to Central Point. We're talking, you know, seven miles max. Oh, yeah. Hey, plug-in. There
0: hy- you go. That's perfect. Yeah, plug-in hybrid's perfect for you. Yeah, it would are be. There
2: in, but like, if I'm looking at a Prius, are there any ears to look at or mileages to, to, to look away from, that kind of thing?
1: Well, they make both versions of it. You know, the standard Prius is not a plug-in hybrid, meaning it just it has a, it has a battery, but the battery gets charged continuously by the engine. They also make a, okay. a uh, plug-in version of it that's called the Prime. That's what you're want, going to want to look at. Um, the and, Prime, okay. The pre, Yeah, they, the previous they made prime. that for, for many years, and that's it's a very reliable vehicle. Uh, as far as I know, nobody's got anything uh, to say against it other than, you know, just stuff that's subjective, like they, they don't like the way it looks or whatever, but it's it's otherwise a very sound, functional, reliable vehicle.
0: All right, very good. Hey, appreciate the call, and good luck on that. And let me go to line three. Hi, KMED, KCMD. You're with Eric Peters. Who is this?
7: This is Minor Dave. Yeah, Dave, go ahead. I was just checking out YouTube of all the frozen Teslas and uh, other EVs where people almost died in them because they got caught in a whiteout and they froze to the ground.
0: Yeah. Uh, Eric, you've certainly written about that quite often, haven't you?
1: Well, yeah, about the range diminishment that, that occurs when it gets very cold outside because battery performance wilts when it gets very cold outside. And then you have the compounding problem of literally everything that's in an EV, including the heater, uh, being electrically powered and making the battery deplete even faster than it would otherwise. Um, So, you know, those, those are things to consider. But I think to get back to what Bill and I were talking about earlier, the other factor, and this applies to EVs particularly because they are so electronic, when these sensors freeze up, the cameras and so on that the thing depends on, particularly things like autopilot, that doesn't work anymore. You know, all these these wonderful features that they tell you uh, you're going to have uh, are conditional upon conditions being ideal. You know, dry and sunny. If it's foggy, if it's snowy, if it's icy, they, they're they not going to work, and, and you could have a real problem on your hands.
0: Let's talk with Line 4. Hi, KMD KCMD. You're with Eric Peters. Who's this?
1: Good morning, Bill and Eric. Jeff and Selma.
6: Good morning, Jeff. Hey, Eric, you didn't mention about when you buy a truck and you want to put a trailer hitch on it and hook up some mm-hmm. trailer wiring, that that has to be connected into the computer now. Because the
1: computer controls the turn signals and the four-way flashers. Yeah, that's true. And all that other nonsense.
0: Wow. I didn't know that, yep, Jeff. Yeah, that's
1: absolutely true. That's why most new trucks, you know, there's a package that you'll buy or an option that you'll check that uh, has the thing so set up from the factory. But, you know, let's say that you bought one used that the original purchaser uh, didn't do that with. It's no longer a matter of going down to Napa and getting your, you know, your hitch and all of that and just putting it on there.
0: Good call, Jeff. I appreciate that. And, uh, Eric, I wanted to ask you a question about – I'm going to go in a different direction at this point. Mm-hmm. Do you know um, – do you have a uh, webcam – or not a webcam, but, uh, you know, a dash cam on your vehicle when you drive?
1: Um well, kind of sorta i've got this it's pretty cheesy it's pretty cheap i'm embarrassed to admit this is what i'm still using i don't even know the name of it it's it's this little box thing I have that 's a camera, and you 've seen my shaky videos <laughs> that I used mm-hmm. that, that I make using it, so I keep that with me uh when something comes up i can it it's simple for me i don't the over electronic stuff drives me batty. This thing has on off I can deal with that yeah well that's what I, I use I, when i drive
0: I ended up installing a a dash cam on my one daily <laughs> driver. And the the reason for this is that I've just noticed a real trend of a lot of people break checking and intentionally oh, yeah. trying to make people wreck, and yeah. in, in in order to either rob them or 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 whatever the case might be. And I've looked at this as kind of a self defensive sort of thing. Is that a a growing trend? Just curious.
1: Oh, absolutely it is, and for just the reasons that you've laid out. Uh, you know, if, if you get into an accident and it's he said, she said, you know what your insurance company is going to say, right? Mm-hmm. And potentially, if you have to go to court, you've got a problem because, again, it's hearsay. Uh, it's your version versus their version. If you have video evidence that the person deliberately did something to cause the accident, well, then you've got proof and you stand a much better chance of not being taken for a ride either by your insurance company or the legal system. So I think it's very savvy to get one of them.
0: Are you aware of any insurance companies that give you discounts for having dash cams? Because I'm trying to avoid the dongle. You know how everybody wants you to plug mm -hmm. into the dongle in which you're monitored by the insurance company at all times?
1: Well, yeah, I would never do that because it's got nothing to do with safety. It's got everything to do with dunning you for reasonable driving. Mm -hmm. And I won't have any part of that. Now, I don't know whether there are any insurance companies that would give you a discount for having the camera, which they ought to if they really are interested in reducing their liability, the cost that they pay for other people's negligence, you'd think they would encourage that because that would be a way to do it.
0: Okay. Let me talk with uh, Line 2. Hello, KMED, KCMD. You're with Eric Peters. Who is this?
1: Good
7: morning, Bill. Good morning, Eric Peters. This is morning. Bob Shand in Manford.
0: Good morning, Bob. Go ahead.
7: Hey, I have a question for Eric because this kind of uh, befuddles me is that Volkswagen
1: is coming out with a scout. Um mm-hmm. Uh, Ford rebranded the Maverick car to the Maverick truck,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and in my mind, you know, people who rebrand stuff are cattle thieves. <laughs> and uh, yeah. what's up with the rebranding and renaming of things that they well, can't come up with their the own answer, unique the, name? That the answer is easy. You know, they're, they're 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 trying to ride the legacy, the affectionate feelings that people have for these iconic brands like Scout, International Scout. Uh, and uh, Blazer, for example, and a lot variety of other things that people, you know, they know and they recognize, and they, you know, that correlates with with trying to sell people something, and they can do it because they've bought the rights to do it. You know, for example, Ford owns the rights to Mustang, so if Ford wants to put the Mustang badge on an electric five-door crossover, the Mustang Mach E. They have every legal right to do it. Now, whether it's cheesy or not is something that's entirely up to you to decide. I personally think it is cheesy.
0: All right. Thanks, Bob. Good question. And uh, Line 3, hi, KMD KCMD. You're with Eric Peters. Who's this?
4: Yeah, I wanted to get a recommendation from Eric. Um, We've currently got a 2012 pilot that's been great. We've had it for, you know, 11 years. Um, We take care of my mother-in-law now, and my mom lives next door, and I've got two kids and one on the way. When I was a kid, we had a Suburban. I'm looking at all mm-hmm. the newer Suburbans, you know, trying to find something like 50,000 miles. They're hideous. They're loaded with electronics and, oh, check your back seats. You left your children in there. You're a terrible yep. father. We're coming for you. Like, <laughs> okay. What would you recommend yep. to someone that's reliable? I don't want to get something too old, you know, that's
1: just going to have a lot of problems. But I um, just want to see what you thought. Well, I think you'd have actually more problems with the newer ones. Anybody who's looked into this, GM is having issues with the 6.1 or is it 6.2 liter V8 that they use in the Escalade, and the Escalade is uh, a fancy version basically of the Suburban, and the Suburban is a fancier version of the Tahoe, longer version of it. Long story short, I, if I were in the in the situation that you're in, uh, I would be looking for a lower miles, well-maintained uh, Suburban that was made prior to the proliferation of all of this over-the-top electronic stuff because they are more reliable and they're they're far more economical to fix. Even if something does go wrong with one of them, typically it'll be a mechanical failure. Let's say the transmission needs to be rebuilt or replaced. Well, that's a reasonable thing to do with a vehicle like that. But when the electronics glitch out on these over-tech new vehicles, sometimes the cost is so prohibitive and it still doesn't fix the problem.
0: What is the uh, kind of dividing line in the year that maybe he'd be looking at?
1: You think? You're largely safe if you go back to roughly about 2015 and prior. You know things really started to get ridiculous after about 2015.
0: The one thing I would recommend, uh, caller, is the um, trying to avoid the uh, the type of uh, the Tahoes and the uh, Suburbans that have the V8. Which V8 was it, Eric? That had they would turn the cylinders off they had problems yeah, yeah, with those the
1: variable display or the cylinder deactivation and i think it was the 5.3 engine i think that had that had the biggest problem with those and that was the standard engine in those vehicles if i if my memory is correct
0: yeah and that's just uh, cuz i know that we have one here at the uh, at the radio station and there have been uh, notable problems with those guys. i was reading about that so that's yeah. something to avoid so watch out for the cylinder deva- deactivation okay fair enough
4: yeah Thank and you just know, this, guys, is, this one is one quick follow up Mm-hmm. Um would you have any preference over uh, like the Ford Expeditions or I guess now the new ones are Expedition XLs over the Chevys? I've been always kind of a Chevy guy but you know yeah. I'm open to whatever's more reliable and just
1: you know easier to on the maintenance and stuff like that. Well GM V8s and GM transmissions used to be really good. They're less good now than they used to be. On the other hand, you know, for the the current model, Expedition uh, uses a 3.5-liter twin-turbo V6, which I wouldn't want myself, not for a long-term vehicle. Um, If you go back, you know, years past and go with the traditional V8s, they're okay. The transmissions aren't as good. You know, there are pros and cons with a lot of these vehicles. Now, I was going to mention that I'm personally right now, kind of looking around to find myself uh, a Toyota Hilux, which is the Japanese domestic market version of the uh, uh, the Forerunner slash Tacoma, with a diesel and a manual transmission, and I'm looking for one from the late 90s and early 2000s, so it's pretty old, but those things are completely bulletproof. They'll last forever. Uh, they'll rust out before they fail out, hmm. so don't be afraid of the older vehicles. All right there you go thanks for all the help guys i appreciate it appreciate it
0: thank you for listening and eric i appreciate you coming on this morning and uh, we were talking about uh, some of the new vehicles the one you're Mm -hmm. reviewing right now uh chevy blazer tell me about the 2024 chevy blazer you actually kind of like this one because it has a v6 in it right
3: well, you can still
1: get a V6, and here's the hilarious—well, this isn't hilarious, that's the wrong word. This is kind of the depressing, weird thing about it. This is a mid-sized crossover that weighs about 4,000 pounds, and, you know, at one time, it would have come standard with a V6, right, a vehicle right. like that? Yeah. Um, now, if you want the V6, you can still get it, but the Chevy only sells it in the RS version, which is the, uh, the performance-themed version, and the odd thing about that is it's deliberately intended— so that Chevy will sell fewer of them because they can't sell more of them. If they did, it would upset their corporate average fuel economy numbers. So they're pushing the, the Blazer with the 2.0-liter turbo four-cylinder yeah. rather than the V6. But at least you can still get the V6, though probably for only the remaining remainder of 2024.
0: And the Chevy Blazer, actually, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it, it kind of reminds me of the look of the Camaro rather than the old Chevy oh, yeah. Blazer truck, right? Yeah, that... and
1: that's, that's on purpose. They They oh. deliberately styled it to not look like just another crossover, so it's got a very Camaro-ish front end, and if you get inside of it, you'll look and see it's got a Camaro-ish dashboard with big ball vents, uh, a gauge cluster that looks like it could have been taken out of the Camaro, so it's, it's an enjoyable vehicle to drive with the V6, you know, more enjoyable, I should say, than the typical crossover appliance, which is about as fun to drive as it is to look at wallboard.
0: EPautos.com. Great site. Support Eric and uh, check out there. You'll learn a lot there and a lot of great politics, too. Eric, great conversation. What do you think you'll review next week? Anything in the driveway? Well, yet? I'm
1: in the middle of it, actually. uh I have a Subaru Outback. Oh. Uh, so we'll get to talk about that next week. All right. Very good. Talk to you then. Thanks, Eric. Sounds good, Bill.
0: EPautos.com. Five after seven. KMED. KMED. HD1. Eagle Point. Medford. KCMD. Grants Pass. Here
1: at American
5: Renture Garage, we respect and support.